Welcome to Common Ground Radio, a monthly radio show produced in conjunction with the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association and WERU 89.9 FM Blue Hill. I'm Caitlin Barker, your host, and this month I have taken a little field trip and I've traveled down to Stonington and I'm meeting with Cheryl Wixon. Chef Cheryl Wixon is a local foods advocate and community health educator. She has connections to Mafka that we will definitely be talking about. And today's show is all about seasonal eating, but also food in general, recipes, and we're going to go a lot of different ways in the conversation. So this is this is going to be a good one. So Cheryl, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm I'm honored to be back be on ba- Common Ground. Yes, back, which maybe we'll just jump in there. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Uh, actually, I was part of the initial group of folks when WERU came to us and asked if Mofka would be interested in in providing a show. Russell Libby, the executive director at the time, Andrew Marshall, and Melissa White-Pillsbury, myself, and then uh, did many of the programs for a number of years, and then C.J. Walk came on board. But I ended up doing a lot of them because this was before COVID and before taping, so it was in the studio, and believe it or not, Stonington was closer (laughs) to uh, Orland than... uh, that unity was. So I've had the opportunity to speak with a lot of different folks in the Mofka landscape on how we can support Maine agriculture and organic agriculture all over the globe. And one of the reasons I immediately thought of you is because your name always comes up when we're talking about food in Maine, advocacy classes, cooking classes, being a chef at a restaurant. Like you have a long history in Maine of being connected with the food industry and growers across the state. So tell me about how you got into cooking. I started out as an agricultural engineer at the University of Maine. I was the first woman to participate in that program, though I wasn't able to get employment. So I went to work for the pulp and paper company and then transferred into telecommunications. And my husband and I lived in the Bangor area for 30 years, and working in the large corporate environment was not really to my taste. And so I had the opportunity to run a private club, which was a Terratine club. And then from there, I opened up a restaurant and a gourmet store, and then retired after I raised a pig. (laughs) (laughs) That's right, I raised a pig in my backyard. In Bangor? In Bangor. (laughs) And you have to know, we live four houses down from Stephen King, and of course that was illegal. Yeah, (laughs) I was wondering. (laughs) Yeah, it was illegal. I I got the pig as a birthday present for my middle daughter to demonstrate to my children the importance of recycling and composting. So at the time I had a restaurant, and I used to bring the scraps home from the restaurant and feed the pig. And the kids always knew that the pig would be bacon Mm -hmm. and would end up on the table. I remember it was August, and the kids happened to be away visiting my sister. I used to let Petunia, that was her name, out every day, and I would clean her pen. And I mean, we lived on West Broadway. It was a pretty, I won't say prestigious, but it was a very well-manicured street. And there was happened to be a hot air balloon going overhead, and they fired up the propane burner, and it spooked the pig, and she ran down the street. So somebody called code enforcement and said, did you know that there was a pig on West Broadway? And, you know, Dan Wellington was a code enforcement officer at the time, bless his soul. And he came up and he said, you know, this isn't legal. This was way before you could have chickens Mm -hmm. and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so I had to get rid of her. Mm -hmm. So we sent her off to the butcher. Actually, we sent her over to Herring Brothers. 
and then you know brought her home and the last meal that i had at my restaurant was a seven course meal out of my pig Aww. and then i came home to raise my kiddos mm -hmm. so that sort of ended the restaurant part of my career but i had the opportunity while i was uh, raising the children to take a food science and nutrition class from Catherine Musgrave at the University of Maine. And it opened my eyes to the importance of fruits and vegetables, how important they were to our diet and how we Americans had really sort of shifted away from eating those types of things. I was always a big local foods advocate anyway. My, the theme of my restaurant was international cu cuisine featuring local organic main products. Mm. When the nutrition light went off in my head, I'm like, oh, I really think there, that I have something here. And then Russell Libby was looking for somebody to do some organic marketing, primarily not just to the, the Mothka circle, but to folks outside to really expand the mission of Mothka so that people could understand that, you know, Mothka wasn't just a bunch of hippies and whatever that we were, you know, it was to bring it more mainstream. Mm -hmm. So Melissa White Pillsbury and I both came to work at the same time, and it was a it was a very exciting time for Mothka. It was we were rapid growth, you know, the number of CSAs with community supported agriculture was growing throughout the state. There were so many young people getting into farming. I find it was really one of the, the most exciting times of my life. And I learned so much, we call it the Mofka way, about collaboration. Because I'd come from the other side, come from the dark side. <laughs> I'd come from corporate America and the corporate world. I'd worked for corporations. So I had my understanding of collaboration and working together for a common goal was really instilled in me by working with Mofka and the people that I met. It was just a fabulous time in my life. I absolutely loved it. And when we moved down here to Stonington, I used to commute just two hours to there. But this was obviously back before we had the technology that we have today. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. I would say Mofka still has a lot of that energy in terms of a group working together to, for a larger cause, which is really inspiring when you're part of it. Absolutely. Looking at the fair from this year, it's like, wow. I used to work in the green room with Janice, and we would, you know, we'd be running around looking at the numbers, and we could never quite break that 60,000, you know, attendance number. And I'm looking at what you folks did this year, and it's absolutely phenomenal. I think it's a great energy. And that brings me great hope for the world. Well, where has that interest in food and advocacy led today? Where does your work uh, fall now? Well, since I retired from Mofka, I've gone to work down here in the local community. For a number of years, I did a community supper for 300 people that were, it was both in-house and delivered. It was open to the public, free of charge, but a lot of it was to give people access to good nutritious food along the way what i did learn is that i didn't want to cook with anything else i only wanted to cook with main food i only wanted to cook with seasonal food and as much as i possibly could i wanted to cook with organic food so that's what we served to these 300 people was that type of, of cuisine now since covid we i've been working in the school system here in Al stonington uh, one of the projects I'm working on with a committed group of volunteers is to create an edible schoolyard. And then on Fridays, I teach a group of eighth and ninth graders, and we're developing a student cafe. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that's going to be a fun project because we really would like these students 
to be to have a lot of decision making and to have it be a student driven and I think it's an opportunity to be sort of a cooperative type of a situation so mm-hmm. yeah that's really exciting that sounds like something I would jump into a for a whole other show <laughs> but I did a show on school gardens earlier and it, it echoes that and that you can you can learn a lot like we were talking about earlier like it's not just out there tending a garden there's a lot more to be learned I'm a math geek being an engineer so in the kitchen I'm really big on mathematics we go back and forth between grams and pounds and ounces you can learn all of your fractions many of your mathematical things you can learn in the kitchen Mm -hmm. I developed a class called weights and measures because it's really important that we don't use our devices that we can actually use our brains and whether you're a farmer and you need to to understand how many pounds of seed you need to plant to get that many rows of carrots or whether you're a fishing person and you need to understand how much bait you need for those traps and if you fish 20 miles offshore how much diesel are you going to take so i think all of what we can learn in the world can come through learning in in the kitchen and in the field in fishing. Yeah, I would agree. And, and that project-based learning that we were talking about, I think, has a huge impact on kids when we can do it right. I look at this as an investment in the future of the earth. And I have a great appreciation for technology, but I have an even greater appreciation for working with your hands. Mm-hmm. And that feels like a very main thing and I mean like state of Maine like very much we we really do um, value that hard work and those skills right that get passed down and we need to make sure we continue that and I think it's a very it's a very creative way to do things I don't think people understand that oftentimes and I'm not saying about farmers I'm thinking about the general public is how creative you need to be as a farmer For example, here at our place, not this year, but several years prior, we've had we've been in a drought situation, all right? And we live on a big rock. So our well capacity is only 125 gallons of water a day. And yeah, that's a lot. That's not very much when you consider that the average American probably consumes over 80 gallons per person a day. So we have to be very conservative with our water and we don't have enough for agriculture. So we've developed a system in which we collect rainwater and then we just kept increasing our capacity. It's really funny because we live right on Crockett Cove and my, we watch what comes and goes in and out of the cove. My husband was out today looking, he says, Cheryl, there's a blue barrel. So he went over across the cove and got the blue barrel. So now we've got five 55 gallon blue barrels that we can use. Now this year, of course, was not the same. We had no issues as far as water was concerned. As a matter of fact, we had a lot too much water, but because we live on a hill, it does drain well. But believe me, my heart goes out to some of those farmers that did suffer. Mm-hmm. So now being creative, we have to look at different varieties. What what about mold? You know, what are those types of things? What can do better in these types, this type of climate? Mm-hmm. So that's the wonderful part about Mofka. And I'm going to keep saying this over and over again, because I think that they provide this educational base 
and this sharing opportunity so that we can learn from each other. Mm -hmm. I would agree, yeah. So many different farmers trying out different things and when we have the opportunity to come together and share what worked and what didn't, it's it's only gonna benefit everybody. It's gonna benefit the world, you know. I I remember a statistic, and I think it was Russell that used to cite this, that, you know, 40% of the world's feeding needs comes from the big corporate agriculture, but 60% comes from small family farms. How much capacity can you get off an acre or two is huge. So these types of community agriculture, this community supported agriculture, this is the savior. It's not the Monsantos. Mm -hmm. It's not the big, big agricultural dairies and things like this it's it's the small family farms and small farms like we have here in in Maine yeah I mean even thinking back to the pandemic and when things were really rough and we couldn't go to the grocery store or supply chain issues that's who we were relying on exactly those local producers who could continue to do their work and that we could connect with yeah for sure if you're just tuning in this is common ground radio on 89.9 FM Blue Hill W-E-R-U. I'm Caitlin Barker. I'm your host, and I'm here in Stonington with Cheryl Wixon, local foods advocate and community health educator, also former host of Common Ground Radio years ago. So this is kind of a fun throwback. But Cheryl's still very active in the food community. And in particular, I was browsing your website today, which was really fun. And it had a ton of great recipes on it, which leads me to the topic of food, which it is, as we're recording this, it's very cold out. It is mid not quite midwinter early winter and this is a time of year that my pantry that had all the fresh produce in it starts to look a little you know the garlic starting to get a little soft and the carrots are maybe growing a little bit of a little hairy <laughs> a little hairy still good they'll last for months you know you've got those storage crops but the the fresh you know fall kale and spinach is maybe found less often especially inland where it's a little harder sometimes to grow when it gets real cold so talk to me about seasonal eating in Maine well one of the the best projects that I ever did when I was working for Mofka and there were many was the project called the Maine Local 20 and you folks call it now the Maine Organic 20 okay this was 20 foods that Maine had the capacity, and I want to stress capacity, to process and store and that cook so that Maine people could eat them all year round. So I think it was about 2008, 2009 that I started working on this. And it was quite a research project, actually, it could have been a master's thesis, when I evaluated what could be the potential crops that could be available to Mainers year round, that could be stored, did we have the capacity, meaning the land capacity, what were the roadblocks, why we couldn't produce these crops, but would they also provide Maine people with a nutritionally balanced diet? And I think my piece of of a nutritionist comes into play here because it, you can't eat all potatoes. We can't live on potatoes. You know, the three crops that we think of uh, in the state right now, what I would call commodity type crops would be potatoes, apples, and wild blueberries. Mm -hmm. Well, they're great, but nutritionally, they're not gonna provide our citizens with a balanced diet, okay? So the big question was, okay, what can we identify for these crops that could be, and 
the t it was used as a tool to help encourage farmers to plan what they would be growing and marketing. And we were hoping that it would also affect some of our public policy. And actually it has, because some of the things that have happened since that time is that we recognize that, for example, we need more slaughterhouses and we need places in which farmers can take their animals to be slaughtered. And then maybe we need different scales of slaughtering. We need different scales of food safety. Maybe you can do like the thousand bird exemption. You can do some things that on the home scale and then we need a, a different sizes. So this was all part of playing into how we could help shape public policy and how we could help people have better diets. So when I developed the Maine Organic 20, I went around the state and I spoke to a lot of people about how we developed this and what the what the main what they were and actually I might even read them if you sort of like yeah yeah it would be it. so wild blueberries and apples would be our fruits vegetables would be potatoes carrots beets and beet greens tomatoes winter squash cabbage and onions the dairy would be milk cheese and butter protein would be eggs seafood ground meat and dry beans. The sweets would be maple syrup. Under the Mofka Organic 20, honey is not listed because it's very difficult to have organic honey in the state, but I still consider that part of the, the sweetening part would be honey and the grains would be wheat. Mm -hmm. So I went around the state and people said to me, well, you can't have good food on this. You can't, This doesn't exist. And I'm like, well, let me tell you something, folks. You can. After I developed that, that's all we eat. Mm -hmm. You know, people say to me, well, particularly where our former friends from Bangor say, well, where do, you, where do you shop and where do you eat? Well, first and foremost, we have a very nice market here. We're very fortunate. But secondly, we don't shop at a supermarket. We don't buy food from the industrial food system. So a matter of fact, my husband's out right now picking up two lambs from Paul Volkhausen at Happy Town Farm. All right, so we don't, you know, yeah, okay, beer, chocolate, mm -hmm. ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> There's, I mean, like uh, the spices, there are some things that we, that we get, but I'm like, well, if I'm gonna prove that you can have a really good eating lifestyle and healthy, then we're gonna eat that way. Mm -hmm. So ever since that time, and I've, I write a, a column for the Ellsworth American, ever since that time, all my recipes that I ever develop or publish are using local seasonal organic ingredients. You would never know that, I don't say that, but if I'm gonna give you a recipe, I'm not gonna give you a recipe with strawberries in January. Right. <laughs> or with red peppers. I'm gonna give you a recipe with foods that you could find around here at this time and that's that's what i've done then mm -hmm. i still continue to do that and when you stick around for lunch you'll yes. get you'll be have that opportunity <laughs> to enjoy it yes unfortunately for those listening you won't get to but i get to stay and get fed by cheryl which is really exciting <laughs> perk of this job so what are some examples of some of the foods that you're making with these core items well it's I don't know if it's what you're making or what we eat. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So first and foremost, we enjoy a smoothie every day. Okay. All right. I make just about the same smoothie all the time. It's apple juice, yogurt, and we get our dairy from Quills End Farm in Penobscot. 
because they come down on the island once a week. It's a real joy to have a local dairy. That was one of the best days of my life when I found a local dairy. But I know around the state there are a number of local dairies that where you can get your dairy products. And then I put a vegetable in it. Sometimes it's cooked beets, sometimes it's kale. I grow Swiss chard, which happens to do, to do really well. And then a cup of, of frozen wild blueberries. Okay, so we have that every single day. Uh, that's that's our mid-morning snack, so to speak, all right? My husband, he, he has eggs every morning for breakfast. I make my own bread, all right? We get our grains. You can get them often from your local co-op. There's a number of CSAs that offer grains, but grains are grown here. I make uh, an oatmeal bread with rolled oats from Aurora Mills. I get my wheat from Aurora Mills. Corn is available local corn is grown here so that's what you know he that's he has eggs every single day for breakfast and I have a piece of toast all right lunch is it could be very different okay depending upon what we have for leftovers in our house are called encores they're not leftovers <laughs> they're they're so good they were we bring them back for the second time they were encores a lot of my family's from Aroostook County we have a baked potato or a potato almost every single day okay and then this time of year we have root vegetables we have a lot of roots you know carrots and beets and turnip and rutabaga and cabbages you know the, the delightful thing about cabbage is it's green you know unless you do the red cabbage so it's available all year so those are the types of things that we would and we usually always have some sort of an either applesauce or apples for dessert my husband used to have a wine company a sparkling cider he does he makes hard sparkling cider and we forage apples around the island and the peninsula and so when we first started eating like this my very first thought was oh my gosh what are we going to replace orange juice with you know, you, you remember back when I was growing up, you know, a day without orange juice is a day without sunshine. And so I'm like, so it was apple juice because, I mean, we have tremendous and apple juice. I used to can it. I used to can 48 half gallons. OK, well, that was before we had a big freezer. So so that's a thing that you have to consider. I, we root cellar. You know, if we don't grow the food, we get it, buy it in. We get most of our root vegetables from King Hill Farm. And so we buy them in and put them in the root cellar. Apples, we are very fortunate since John Bunker started his Heritage Apple CSA. We've been getting apples from him ever since. But we also bring in, if we don't forage, we bring them in and we store them in the root cellar. You know, it used to be, if you were a really good homesteader, you could live on apples all year because you could keep them in the root cellar until the summer crop came in in late July or the first of August. So, you know, apples are a really big, big, a big thing for us. So as far as our protein is concerned, we raise rabbit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this year I had 50 rabbits in the freezer. I don't usually we had an extra dough because I had a dough at the school. We used it as part of the educational process there. I won't have that many rabbits again. That was a (laughs) A lot lot of rabbits. But we eat a lot of rabbits. Mm -hmm. My husband fishes. Uh, He hauls lobster traps. Mm -hmm. And he goes halibut fishing every year. So we put a halibut in. We put at least one halibut in the freezer. That's exciting. Plus we dig clams. Mm -hmm. We eat a lot of clams. And we, as I said, we buy in lamb from Happy Town Farm. And you need to know there's a number of really excellent 
uh, farmers in our state that do provide you know good protein mm. and what else do we have I mean we don't eat a lot of chicken primarily because I have a lot of rabbit but there you know there's a lot of chicken available mm-hmm. the next thing I'd like to get into but I don't really have permission from my husband. <laughs> is I really there's a I've been reading the Ark of Taste, mm. and there's a duck. I have to go look it up. What kind of a duck? That's pretty rare. That's and I'm like, oh, maybe I'd like to start raising a few ducks. Mm-hmm. We we do hunt ducks here, but we don't have a dog right now that likes to swim. So it's really hard to duck retrieve hunt, it to retrieve that <laughs> duck. So what do we use for sugar? I use maple syrup, mm-hmm. and I use honey. I mean, yeah, okay, yeah, I do use real sugar I do a lot of baking Mm. but you know that's those are the types of things you know I always say to my kids if the world comes to an end don't worry you can come down here and you'll never starve yeah I mean that's pretty reassuring (laughs) it sounds like you have a gourmet restaurant basically in your house and looking at your kitchen it kind of is a gourmet kitchen well (laughs) we do I mean it takes a lot of work Mm -hmm. okay my mother used to say that she's never seen two people that spend so much time on getting ready for their next meal (laughs) But that's all we do. Yeah. That's all we do is we have a very large garden. We freeze corn. We freeze peas. I freeze chopped peppers. Mm -hmm. I freeze beans. We forage for mushrooms. We dig clams. So we we either farm, fish, or forage. But that's all we do. But that provides us with a a very healthy lifestyle. Right, yeah. Yeah, it's about what you prioritize, putting that time and energy and money into. And I'll never forget once I was shopping at the Belfast Co-op a few years ago and the very lovely woman was checking me out and saying something to me that food was her medicine that was her best medicine that was her health care plan was to what she ate and I and I I really think that it's very true I think unfortunately so many of our society people are hooked on I call it UPF it's ultra processed food if you look at the labels I'm like okay I don't want to be eating this yeah if you can't pronounce those things you don't want to be eating Mm -hmm. them so Mm -hmm. yeah I find for myself one food being medicine is and how it makes me feel Mm -hmm. it's really important as I get older especially but also food and the preparation of it can be like for my mental health like it's I love doing it I know everybody doesn't not everybody does but I love preparing food and I love feeding people I love so those two things combined make it a really important part of my life I think you've summed that up very much you know I always say if you cook for somebody you have love in your heart Mm -hmm. and that is that's that's it's very it's like being in the zen zone it's very relaxing Mm -hmm. yeah sometimes it's hard work Mm -hmm. the worst part's the dishes yeah (laughs) I luckily have a dishwasher in the house who's who comes in behind me and takes care of the dishes. <laughs> See? Perfect. <laughs> yeah, no, but I totally agree that I do it because I love feeding the people I love and seeing them enjoy it. Mm-hmm. It's definitely an act of love in my house, and it's also an act of just... It's like a change, especially over the pandemic. I, I started cooking a lot more at the pandemic. I think... I. Th- you know, in many ways, the pandemic was very difficult on our yes. society. Yes. It, it was it, particularly on our children, because mm-hmm. I work in the schools and I can see how difficult it was. But it also, I think, helped for many of us to identify our true priorities, mm-hmm. which would be family, community, and local foods. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm sorry to see that sometimes we're moving away from those values because as our climate changes. We're going to need those even more so. Yeah. 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 A hundred percent. Yeah. I've seen that. 
this is a personal question for me. As the winter goes on and we find our, my husband and I do a lot of, we call them root roast, which is like carrots, potatoes, beets, onions. We do that a lot Mm -hmm. and I love it. But as the months go on, it starts to get a little boring. boring. Right. It (laughs) does get a little boring. It's hard. So do you have any tricks or like ways you perk up meals as the winter moves on? Well, first and foremost, you talked about your garlic getting a little soft. Mm -hmm. If you peel it and chop it or or just just peel it in cloves, you can freeze it and will last for a long time. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. So what I do is when it starts to go soft is actually I have a 86 year old friend, little lady that I ship out stuff to her because she likes she likes the handwork, so she'll peel it all for me. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah, I'm on my 20 pounds of garlic. <laughs> Let me tell you, that's really helpful. Yeah. So that's the one thing about when you do, do roots all or eating is that you need to be aware, and you have to, like, love your roots. You have mm-hmm. to check them on a regular mm-hmm. basis, and then those are the ones that you want to eat, okay? Yeah. So when, you know, the depth of winter, when it starts to get, a little like monotonous monotonous <laughs> that's when i usually head to the co-op mm-hmm. or uh there's a number of this we da- we have down here and it's i actually i think it's statewide is farm drop mm-hmm. so we have a number of farmers throughout the state now that are doing more three and four season growing mm-hmm. the thing i really miss is greens yeah yeah but you know come the end of january into february the kales and things like that are going are more available mm-hmm. Um, I grow a lot of sprouts, okay? Mm, right inside? Right inside yeah. on the windowsill. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because they, my husband says he doesn't like to eat hay, but yeah. it's like, you know, it's that sparks up my up yeah. my menu. Um, and then, depending upon how the season goes, you know, I might end up with using a little more fat, mm-hmm. okay, sometimes. Or I might change the way in which I cook. I do a lot of roasting, mm-hmm. but then I might start to doing some things on top of the stove, okay, and more sauteing and more braising mm-hmm. than that sort of thing. And then I might invest, I sometimes look into different cuisines. The spicing and the way of like some of our other cuisines around the world, mm-hmm. even though we may not have the same vegetables, maybe you right. can substitute a rutabaga for something mm-hmm. or uh, a parsnip, then you can substitute that for some of those other vegetables and use the different spicing and those different preparations. And I try to share that, some of those things with my readers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, sometimes you just gotta splurge and yeah. buy things. But, you know, a lot of your fruits, they're frozen. I used to go over to Daisy Chain Farm every year and I would pick 20 or 30 pounds of strawberries and freeze them, right? You know, and raspberries, I've got raspberry canes out here now that I'm hoping to get a good crop from. And we have asparagus also. So you kind of like, you just have to sometimes just do a little splurging. Mm -hmm. But I can usually get through until about April. Mm -hmm. And then that's when the markets really start to open up and things get to be very exciting. Yeah. The spicing, that reminds me that we've, I've started getting a little bit into Indian cooking mm. and the layers of spicing yes. that have less spices as you go, you're laying flavor upon flavor upon flavor. And mm-hmm. it's like, oh, this is a totally new experience versus it some takes of the those, stuff some I've of done. those bland root vegetables and, mm-hmm. you know, brings them up a notch. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And for sprouts, my kids get really excited when pea shoots come to the co op. <laughs> I don't grow pea shoots, but when they show up that yeah. time of year that's like, I mean, you know, in September, they could care less, not that pea shoots are around, but like they could have cared less because they've eaten it all summer. But right. 
But in late winter, when those pea shoots show up, it's like they could eat pounds of them. It's it's amazing to me in the past five or six years what the new products that are that our farmers are bringing to market and mm. the things like that. Now you wouldn't catch me eating a tomato now at all, but you know I make a lot of tomato sauce, so that's a mm-hmm. those types of things. But you know you can do a lot with a tomato sauce. You know it can be part of a stock, can be part of your stew, it can be part of a sauce. So mm-hmm. I think that just sort of trying different cuisines and maybe substituting what we have would be mm-hmm. an, an interesting thing. So. Yeah, that the different cuisines reminds me in prepping for this interview, talking with my mom that I actually took a cooking class from you 20 years ago <laughs> I know. in Bangor. I know, it was v- a Vietnamese yes, cooking. Yes, yes, I know, I know. Yeah. Which 20 years ago, I hadn't had like a fresh spring roll or, you know, the lemongrass sorbet. I still haven't had lemongrass sorbet since then. It was delicious. Um, <laughs> but it was so fun to try out those new flavors and now in my cooking now I'm I mean 20 years later I'm still trying out new flavors I think that's what we have to do we have to expand our palates Mm -hmm. and you know I get an I'm just like everybody else I get in a rut Mm -hmm. oh we're gonna roast potatoes oh we're gonna we're eating a lot of squash this year because that was one of the few crops that didn't fail miserably Mm -hmm. so we're eating a lot and like okay how do you want your squash today you know it's like oh we're gonna roast it we're gonna puree it we're gonna have a soup so it's like oh we could do a curried squash and we could do it with coconut milk okay Mm -hmm. so coconut milk isn't something that's grown in Maine but that's okay you know we can we can yeah. do that maybe take one flavor or ingredient that you don't usually use and try to introduce and try it. it and to introduce it into your cuisine now i've got a lemon tree so i'm pretty fortunate mm. and for years i had a, a kaffir lime i don't believe that's the correct word i think it's macroot is mm. the correct mm-hmm. uh word and i took it to the greenhouse at the school last year and i think was it february we had that horrific storm when it was like 30 below mm. in oh, the yeah. wind yes. well it froze mm. and it, I, it got killed mm. it's okay it was 20 years it was a 20 year old tree but i was trying I'm to kill it i was well, i was <laughs> yeah. trying to kill it anyway yeah. <laughs> i mean how many big plants do you need yeah. in your house <laughs> oh, that's funny Oh, oh dear. Yeah. So, so I'm going to encourage people to step out of their comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we don't have the opportunity here on the island because we don't have that many restaurants. But in larger communities, you can go to a restaurant mm-hmm. and taste some different things and you can come home and, and start playing, you know, start yeah. playing around with it. Maine is really at the forefront and has been for a number of years of this local food movement and this farm to table type and whenever we get off the island and we have the opportunity to travel i just love trying different tastes and different things sometimes i like them sometimes i don't but that's how i get my inspiration is from what somebody else cooks yeah interesting conversation my daughter and i just had i said if you had thousands of dollars and we went on a trip to New York City, what would your priority be if you had to spend the money? And she was thinking about, you know, different tours she'd want to go on or shopping. And I said, food, 100%. I just want to eat my way oh, God, through yes. a big city. Oh, yes, <laughs> absolutely. I, that yeah. would be my, like, because you can save it all up. <laughs> yes, yes. yes. <laughs> all those tastes, I'm like, oh. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm a big fan of food. Speaking of the food landscape in Maine and all the new farms mm-hmm. and that kind of thing, how has it changed? I mean, you've been a part of it for decades. How has it changed since you got into this? I think it's the availability. It's much more mainstream and much more available. Hannaford's does attempt to do more local things. That's about what I'll, let's just leave it at that. Mm-hmm. 
But I think the food co-ops and things like that have, I just can't get over the number of farmers now doing greens. You know, it's just, it's just huge. And then we're fortunate to have like Crown of Maine distributors that gets this around the state. And even some of your other larger distributors that traditionally just, just provided uh, restaurants and institutions with things off what I would call the industrial food system, even they have, have stepped up mm-hmm. to doing these types of things. So I think more than anything, I mean, I can get greens all the time. It used to be when, that the only greens I could get were from Courtney Haight in, in Blue Hill. He did hydroponic greens. And then that was 20, 25 years ago. And it was a real luxury to have mm-hmm. greens in December, like for Christmas dinner or something. And I, I'm really intrigued with the types of crops that are being trialed. I wait for the Johnny's seed catalog and for Fedco to see, you know, I can't grow all this stuff and I don't really need to, but I just love to see what is available. And it's, it's huge. And I think a lot of our restaurants, like Sam Haywood and those types of folks, they really pioneered getting some of these nouveau types of things into people's mouths. So I think it's very promising. The one thing that I find now being a senior citizen is the cost is often prohibitive for people. And it's sad, mm-hmm. it is, that mm-hmm. we can make food that makes you sick so inexpensively mm-hmm. and food that makes you healthy is not. But it's Amanda Beal, when she was president of Mofka, she used to say, you're going to pay for it somehow. You're going to pay for it now or you're going to pay for it later. Mm-hmm. So that young woman that was at the checkout at the Belfast Co-op when she said, you know, food was her insurance policy and her medicine, that's that's really true Mm -hmm. the one advantage or thing that i'm seeing more and more now is gleaning Mm -hmm. i work on wednesdays here we put out a meal for we call the saltier seniors luncheon we started it during covid but we feed 130 seniors on the island once a week they get a delivered meal a hot meal plus they get enough for a breakfast snack and things like that. I mean, basically the calories in this meal for many of these seniors will go for more than one meal, Mm -hmm. would go for two or three. And plus, because we, this is a nonprofit, I work for Healthy Island Project, we also have the opportunity to provide gleaned products for them if they want. So I think that's a real important criteria. Ron Adams and, and I have, I've worked with Ron for a number of years, the Wild Blueberry Commission, and he's main farm to farm to see. Mm. And he is going to be doing some work with some of the vegetables that are more part of our immigrant population. He's going to be piloting some things so that we can encourage farmers to grow them and that we can have some of these types of foods available. So I think this is going to be very exciting because we're going to get to try some new foods and to try some new recipes and Mm -hmm. to develop some some other things that we can enjoy. Mm -hmm. And I think that will besides the potatoes and the carrots and the rutabaga that will spark you know our palates a little bit more too. So one thing that just came to mind when you were talking about the prohibitive costs are, is the idea that we've grown accustomed, and I say we, general population, mm-hmm. to eating whatever we want when we want it. We've kind of strayed away from seasonal eating. Mm-hmm. 
We, we definitely have. I mean, I can oh, go yeah. into the grocery store and buy a watermelon in February. You can get asparagus now. Right. Like, really? Yeah. Asparagus? Yeah. 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 So when when we look at the cost of eating locally, it sometimes can seem more expensive mm-hmm. to be buying, you know, but then you think about the cost, the actual cost of getting the food there and mm-hmm. the cost on the environment and the workers who did that food. That's one whole aspect to think about in terms of the actual cost of the food. Also, if you're eating seasonally, I mean, I've gone to the grocery store after working a farmer's market with a farmer and looked at the cost of cabbage per pound when cabbage was in season. Exactly. And and it's like, wait, it's cheaper at the farmer's market and it's organic and it's better quality and, and it's exactly, fresher. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So I think you are correct. Our vision is when I show up at the supermarket, oh, it's, you know, it's expensive. Well, it isn't if you buy seasonally, if you root cellar it, or if you buy in larger quantities, or maybe if you work with your neighbors and buy in that respect, okay? I mean, a number of our farmers, and there's a number of of different farming programs that you can buy larger quantities, and that helps the farmer, and that helps helps your neighbor, and that helps you. So Mm -hmm. I think that's spot on that we think about Oh, it's so expensive, but it, it really isn't. Yeah, there's shortcuts we can take. There's a lot we can... that we can do, mm-hmm. and I think that I'm a big food preservationist. Mm-hmm. I'm not. Don't do that much lacto fermentation, mm-hmm. although I have a friend that does, and she keeps me well supplied. But I do a lot of freezing and I do a lot of canning. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. and I think those two things. That's what we did for hundreds of years Mm -hmm. that's how we preserved our food before you know refrigeration and things like that at least the the freezing part we weren't able to do that i think that we can still do now Mm -hmm. and i teach a lot of workshops and i see that happening you know even in in mofka is that 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 capacity to learn to do that you you know you ask how do you keep your your supper tasting different pickles Mm pickles <laughs> because they bring a that different taste to it and there yeah. are so many different ways and so many different vegetables mm-hmm. that you can pickle yeah and you know when they used to have church suppers everybody used to bring a jar of their pickles yeah. and they then we get to see oh i really liked you know their pickles and things like that so that sort of spices up the old baked beans and and cornbread yeah. menu so to speak yeah absolutely if you're just tuning in, this is Common Ground Radio on 89.9 FM, WERU Blue Hill. I'm Caitlin Barker. I'm one of the hosts of Common Ground Radio. It's created in conjunction with MOFCA, Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association. And today I've traveled down to Stonington to meet with Chef Cheryl Wixon. She's a local foods advocate and community health educator. And we've been talking all about food and many different topics hitting on food. We were just talking a tiny bit about, you mentioned food preservation. And I'm wondering for someone who doesn't do a lot, Mm -hmm. but is looking to start, I mean, canning is one thing, it's a big project and there's a lot of resources out there for canning. Mm -hmm. Freezing feels a lot easier (laughs) for a beginner. Uh, What are you freezing? Like, What do I freeze? Uh, You know, I never realized it before, but my husband really likes beans. I'm like, well, why don't you tell me that? (laughs) Because we always have a huge crop of them, and I give them away. So I started freezing beans. Okay. Uh, Extension actually has some good good books and some resources about freezing, Mm -hmm. but freezing is really pretty easy. It's a matter of capturing the product when it's really at its height, 
and then doing something with it, okay? Mm-hmm. I used to root cellar my leeks, and you know, and I grow about 50 leeks a year. I don't know why, it seems to be a crop that does well for me. And it, it would be about February, they would be really pretty sad, mm-hmm. okay? So this year, I've try, I would I sliced them all up, and I blanched them, and I froze them. And you know what, it's a miracle. So there, it was a really easy process. And so you can just, when you blanch them, you throw them in boiling water just for a minute or two, yep. and then cold water? Cold water bath, okay. and then put them in bags. And you can just pull out a I chunk pull, of them? or handful? I pull out a, well, we we use a, we use a system, a vacuum yeah, seal okay. system, okay? Yep. Yep. And so oftentimes you can pull some out, and then you just reseal the bag. Yeah. But yes, that's what we do. And yep. that's what I do with green beans. I freeze a lot of corn. Okay, mm-hmm. corn is really easy, because all you got to do is, if you've got a big harvest, or even if you buy a dozen or 24 ears mm-hmm. at your local farmer's market, you can cook it all up, cut it off the cob, and just freeze it right up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, peas, I don't, they'll tell you in the extension that you should probably blanch them, but I just shell them and, and uh, freeze them. Yeah. And, all right. Uh, broccoli is another thing. I don't grow broccoli here because I don't want to take the time to put the row cover over it and keep the little buggies uh-huh. out of it. But broccoli is another one that's really, really simple. Just blanch it in hot water, you know, put hot water, cold water, and freeze it up. And frozen broccoli tastes great. And you know, believe it or not, broccoli, you can get broccoli late into the season. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen it available from local farmers into, into November. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Brussels sprouts are another thing. If, you know, you're into little mini cabbages, I happen to like those a lot. But, but then you've got to say, well, geez, I don't really have a big enough freezer. Well, you might want to consider that possibility because maybe during the pandemic you were fortunate, but we're in a just-in-time food inventory not just food we're in a just-in-time inventory still mm-hmm. and if something happens to that big supply chain you're stuck we're stuck mm-hmm. you know the other thing i think we don't do enough of is working with dried beans i love beans okay but beans take time mm-hmm. you know you, you you it's you can buy them in a can and they're they're very good and they're very nutritious and they're good for you and you can look for the ones that are low in sodium but if you can cook, I can, I'll cook up several pounds of beans and it will take almost all day to do that because you have to love the bean. You can't like boil the, right. you can't yeah. boil the crap out yeah. of it and then it <laughs> splits. You have yeah. to, you know, a very slow simmer. Mm-hmm. They freeze great. Yeah. So tell me about that because I've never frozen beans before. I cook them okay. until uh, what I would call would be al dente. Mm-hmm. Okay. They aren't mushy, mm-hmm. but you know, and it might take three or four hours depending upon how dry the beans are and how long they've been around. I'll let them cool. I'll put, I usually, once I cook up a big pot, I'll put it on like a sheet pan or, and I'll cool them down. And then I put them into plastic bags and I freeze them. So you're draining them. Yep. I drain okay. them and yep. freeze them. Yeah. Yep. Okay. That's good. To know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it's, they're just in the freezer. Yeah. The one thing I like about this system and you're going to say, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to invest in this. I'm going to have to invest <laughs> in that. And I'm like, well, okay, that, that is a choice. It's mm-hmm. a personal choice. Mm-hmm. Do you want to be hostage? to the fact that you can't get something or do you want to have control over your food and your life? Mm -hmm. Okay. 
the one thing I really like about this bag system, those vacuum sealed, is the quality is really good and the defrosting is a piece of cake hmm. because you put it in a bowl of warm water. Oh, yeah. All right. And we, I mean, my husband gets a halibut every year and he cuts it up himself and he freezes it. And I can say at four o'clock, you know, I think I want halibut for supper. He'll go down into the freezer and get a ha- piece of halibut and in half an hour it'll be defrosted. So that system is a really and it saves on quality too mm-hmm. we'll buy for example cheese you know we'll buy uh, st- state of maine cheese or big blocks of maine cheese and cut it up into smaller pieces mm-hmm. and seal it in those smaller pieces and freeze it so that we can enjoy it so that's a way in which we can economize by buying in mm-hmm. bulk or you could buy with your neighbors yeah see on all these things i'm saying that we do are very possible to do in small community groups mm-hmm. with your neighbors mm-hmm. and friends mm-hmm. it's just like a buying club yeah the, and that was more i feel a little more common when i was younger we were part of a buying club co-op mm-hmm. before maybe there were as many co-ops or opportunities right. to buy can people still find buying clubs? I know of one friend who is part of one. Um, still, yes, but... you still can. You can still yeah. buy. And as a matter of fact, there are still people, places that will sell, like associated buyers will still sell to buying clubs. Mm-hmm. You can still do that. Mm-hmm. And pooling your resources, buying a 50-pound bag of rolled oats from Aurora Mills and then dividing it up among your you know your neighbors mm-hmm. is a good way. It's a, it's a more economical way. Yeah, it takes time. Right. All right. And so, but what are you going to do with your time? You know, that's, as I said, we spend all of our time on our food, but we eat really well. Yeah. So, so I mean, that's, the, that, that's your prior, you have to prioritize. All right. And yeah. that's, that's what we want. That's what, that was our life choice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can see that happening in our family more and more as the years go by. And it first started when we moved back to central Maine mm-hmm. from southern Maine and real, started realizing, I mean, I, I remember cooking one dinner probably almost 10 years ago and looking and realizing, oh, those apples are from the orchard and down the road and these veggies are all down the road and this is pork from the quarter of a pig that we bought. Yep. And it was like kind of exciting to be like, oh, we we picked and chose and have all this amazing food and it's all within it's, uh, two towns over. Right. You know? The other, the other thing, I, and I, I've maintained this for a long time, even in my cooking classes, is this, this theory of cook once and eat twice, or it's cook once and eat about four times. So, for example, my husband's coming back with, with uh, our two lambs that we get every year. Okay, two lambs, we're going to have eight shanks, okay? All right. And so one, I'll take one day, and I will cook all those shanks up, okay? And two shanks... Now, my husband and I are a little older, so we don't have the ravenous appetites of, like, teenagers, okay? (laughs) But two shanks will last us for two or three meals. So I will take that, those shanks, and I will portion them out, and I will freeze them. And every Tuesday, for a while, I was going off island. So when I would get home late at night, I wouldn't have time to cook dinner. We would call that shank night. (laughs) And it was the most exciting thing because we knew that dinner was in the freezer and we all we had to do was get it out mm-hmm. and it was right there. Mm-hmm. The same thing holds true, for example, if, as I say, we don't do much chicken, but you could do a chicken or a whole rabbit. I can braise a rabbit and cook it and have, I can make three or four meals from that, mm-hmm. okay? If you're a large family, you can do two at a time. You know, if you're gonna do the dishes, you might as well, if you're gonna make the kitchen and use the kitchen my thing is let's just do it Mm -hmm. you know when i make bread i make pullman loaves 
and I make four loaves at a time. I mean, now, obviously, you're not. I have a big commercial mixer, but even in a smaller mixer, you can do. You know, just make it and you freeze it. Yeah. And we operate a lot out of the freezer and a lot out of can out of the canned things because I would rather make a batch of tomatoes roast my tomatoes and make a batch of tomato puree and have six or eight jars of tomato puree and it's right there. Mm -hmm. We call those emergency suppers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and tastes way better than the frozen pizza that's coming from the grocery store. Oh, oh, well, you know, there's another thing. I freeze pizza dough. Mm. When I make a batch of pizza dough, it's for five pizzas. We'll Mm -hmm. eat one pizza and I'll freeze up the rest of them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Crown of Maine and some of those other places, you can buy Maine pizza dough right, made yeah. from main grains yeah. i think that's yep. the greatest that's the greatest thing i'm like yes yeah yeah once you start getting in the kitchen more and doing things from scratch whether it's literally just making a batch of granola for the week and mm-hmm. and that cuts now you're not buying two boxes of cereal or something but you start messing up the kitchen too and you realize wait i can do a double batch of this you can do that exactly I can accept, yeah. you know it's going to last longer and it's one cleanup instead of every day and- uh, the cleanup part is is what i think puts a lot of people off because mm-hmm. it is i mean mm-hmm. it's it's not fun but then if you have a partner that likes to do dishes <laughs> that's and that's the kids key. get the kids yeah. in or, there, or, or you know what i work with students a lot and and every group of students that i have in my cooking class there's at least one or two that love to do dishes mm-hmm. and they're fighting over mm-hmm. it oh i want to do the dishes i want to run the dishwasher i'm like go for it mm-hmm. yeah. yeah absolutely well, we're, we're getting closer to the end. I feel like I could jump into more recipes right now and talk about all the different things we can do with the food. But I'd love to know, we're, we're around the holiday time, and mm-hmm. this is an exciting time for anyone who likes to cook. I'm just thinking about what I want to make for my family this season. What kinds of things are you excited about in the kitchen right now? Let's see. I just made a nice haddock chowder. Mm. And I made lobster stock the other day, so I'm going to make a lobster bisque. I work and my sister we're going over to see my sister in troy for thanks for a christmas dinner and she doesn't have any power so she asked me to make the pies Mm -hmm. so i'll probably go down in the root cellar and pick out a couple different varieties of apples Mm -hmm. and make you know a couple different apple pies i love single variety apple pies so you can taste Mm -hmm. the difference Mm -hmm. okay people talk so much about mixing it up but the idea of also maybe highlighting a flavor it's very fun fun for me to Mm -hmm. be to have people try that actually we do that with our applesauce Mm -hmm. is that we do single varieties oftentimes Um, sometimes we don't have enough of any one variety so we do what we call a deer isle applesauce Mm -hmm. but you know we can you know one of our favorites is keepsake it makes a beautiful applesauce liberty makes another lovely applesauce there are different apple varieties that make and they're very distinctive different flavors Mm -hmm. which is kind of fun so i'm usually thinking of more some of the luxurious things but they you know a lobster bisque you you make it from the lobster shells and a little bit of lobster that you have left over so they're those types of things Mm -hmm. i just made some coffee cakes they're a streusel coffee cake with a wild blueberry filling that's going to be up actually up on my website it's Actually, it just went up yesterday. I was going to say, I think I just read that this It morning. just went up on my website. <laughs> yeah. And I like to make those and give them for gifts, mm-hmm. okay? So that would be, those are the types of things. Do I get really elaborate at Christmas? Not really, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. When I had my family around, we, we we had some very traditional things. We'd always have lobster stew and Grammy's apple pie, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And that would be our tradition. So those are the types of things that mm-hmm. I, I'm thinking. I think my sister's gonna roast a chicken for us, mm-hmm. okay? You know, and that's would be, I like to work with, 
I want economical things and cuts of meat and things that are here, mm -hmm. okay? And I might slip in a few beans and a, and I, I just saw this red cabbage and cranberry salad mm. that I was thinking of trying out mm -hmm. too because it's going to bring that nice I've got some red cabbage that really needs to be eaten up <laughs> and my you know I've got some some main cranberries in the freezer and I'm like oh, I think I'm going to try around with that so well I could keep going but we're at time <laughs> I appreciate this stuff I I'm looking forward to lunch so we can keep talking about food. <laughs> so thank you so much for coming on to Common Ground Radio and joining me today. Well, I, I want to appreciate the opportunity to share my passion for mm -hmm. food and for the main organic farmers. Yeah. I wouldn't be where I, we wouldn't be enjoying this wonderful food today if it wasn't from Afka. Mm -hmm. And I think that we are truly blessed to have this community. Thank you. Yeah, I would agree. You've been listening to Common Ground Radio on 89.9 FM, WERU, Blue Hill. This is Caitlin Barker. I want to thank my co-host, Holly Cedarholm. I want to thank my guest, Cheryl Wixon, for joining me today. Additional thanks go to our producer, Claire Boland. Common Ground Radio can be heard on the second Thursday of every month at 4 p.m. right here on 89.9 FM, WERU. Thank you, and stay tuned for more great programming.